you know, I, you know, I, I, I think it'd be kind of cool to be down there at the bottom teaching this thing. I, I think that'd be kind of neat. You know, I, I think I would enjoy, I'm, I'm getting so much out of this and I'm feeling so I, I, I'm enjoying the experience. I'm learning so much. I know it's going to be great. One of these days I might come back and do that, you know, and then just forgot about it for 15 years. From the University of Alabama's Culverhouse College of Business is Bama Means Business, a podcast that reveals amazing stories from those people who both inspire and make a difference in our community. I'm Cole Stevens. On the show today, Joe Calamusa. Joe is a professor of marketing here at Culverhouse, as well as a managing director of the sales program. In today's episode, we talk about what the sales program is here at Alabama, as well as how you can be successful and finding your passion in work. How are you doing today, Joe? I'm great, thank you. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So just to get this started, could you give us an introduction like all the way up to how you got to being an instructor at the University of Alabama? Sure. So I went to UA, um, undergraduate and graduate school, um, uh, marketing undergrad and um, MBA, straight through. I uh, got a job in uh, marketing brand management uh, out of college with Sara Lee Foods. At the time, Sara Lee was a, a huge conglomerate, owned a lot of uh, food companies and consumer packaged goods companies and companies like Haynes and Coach were all under that Coach or all under that Sara Lee umbrella. I worked for a company called Brian Foods, a division in Mississippi, Brian Hot Dogs, Brian Hams. It's, it's a Southern brand. At the time, it was a very uh, popular market leading Southern brand. A couple of years there in marketing, uh, brand development, new product development, packaging, advertising, that kind of stuff. Um, and then went from there to a company called Pico Foods. Uh, stayed in the food business. Pico is uh, one of the largest poultry companies uh, in the U.S. Family owned um, by the Hickman family, based in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, with plants in Mississippi, Alabama, and Arkansas. Global organization as far as their scope and scale. And went to work for them in sales. I wanted to go from marketing to sales, uh, primarily because of impact. Um, I enjoyed what I did at Brian, but the end, I, you couldn't see the end. I mean, if I, I chose, you know, what hue of red the package might be, right? And I mean, that was, you know, I spent a, a month on that. And you really couldn't, you know, did that really do anything? So, you know, probably not, right? So I wanted to have a little more of, the, of, of an impact on it. And that's not a, a, a disrespect to anybody who chooses packaging color. It just wasn't my thing, okay? And so I went to Pico Foods to be in sales, um, and they valued, even though I'd never sold anything in my entire life, they valued um, my retail grocery experience because they wanted to build a retail grocery sales. They wanted a, a presence there. Pico had an international shipping presence and, and food and had a food service restaurant presence, but you couldn't find Pico products in grocery stores. And my experience at Brian had been grocery stores. So they wanted me to do that. So I did that for 10 years. My, my customers were the, the largest grocery store chain. So I called on Kroger Corporate, Walmart Corporate, Safeway, Albertsons, Aldi, um, named the grocery store chain. And that was, those were my customers. And I flew around the country every week and called on those customers and had accounts. And we developed a private label business where if you go into a grocery store chain still today, and you buy that grocery store chain's brand of chicken, fresh or frozen chicken, um, 
it's likely Pico Foods, like Kroger brand at Kroger, Publix brand here in Tuscaloosa, for example, Publix. Um, and so that was my role for 10 years. Um, and while I was at Pico, because I was close, I don't think because I was good, I think because I was close, I was called on a lot by folks at, U, at, at UA who knew me to come over and speak a little bit here and there, like, you know, speak to an MBA group, speak to a class or whatever. And I enjoyed doing it, you know, and, and, and it was fun. And I was asked uh, to teach a class in sales only because they, they didn't have enough people to cover the class in sales. And it was supposed to be a one-off thing where I taught it and they got the full-time person to teach it the next time. Um, I really enjoyed it. it. It wasn't a disaster. So they asked me to continue to do it. Um, and so for a couple of years, I taught just one class a semester, right? Just we call it being an adjunct. Um, Monday nights, usually, because I traveled the rest of the week. Um, and from there, got into the teaching, enjoyed it, did fairly well. And I got lucky, really, really fortunate, because sales programs was a, all of a sudden a very trendy thing. And the sales program is when you've got teachers teaching the content, but there's a lot of corporate sponsorships, companies are sponsoring and getting involved in the program and paying money to be involved in the program as far as being in the classroom, helping develop content, uh, recruiting relationships, and that money goes into scholarships, right? And so the dean at the time, Dean Mason, who had kind of a sales mentality, marketing mentality, wanted to build this sales program because that was a very popular way to engage with corporate organizations. Quite frankly, probably you start them in the sales program and then they get more involved in bigger ways, which is what Barry probably saw, the vision, right? Um, and so they asked me to do that, right? Can you teach and do that? Um, and as I've said many times, I, I love teaching, but I couldn't have left what I was doing just to, just to teach. I needed to do something else with it and this gave me a chance to do that. Um, they also pretty much gave me um, a lot of support, but not a lot of rules. So like they, you know, they, it, was, it was very entrepreneurial, which in a university atmosphere, at the time, at least back then, entrepreneurialism wasn't as um, embraced maybe at the university level as it is now, even 10 or 15 years later. Um, and so it was great for me, it was you know, a lot of chance to really try new stuff. Um, and build something from scratch. And that's what sort of ended up getting me here. Gotcha. That sounds like an amazing journey right there. And just to make sure I got your title right, you're the managing director of the University of Alabama sales program specifically, correct? Yes, I am. Uh, there's, three, there's three directors that we have in the program. Um, my role, managing director, then we have two sides of the program. We, you know, we, we keep things pretty simple in the sales program in Alabama, the student side and the corporate side, okay? The student side is responsible for making sure that our classes run, the class experience is at the level of the standard that we've set and try to achieve. Uh, handling the, the, the student experience, we have a director who does that. And then we have a director um, who is over the corporate experience. Uh, we have 50 plus corporate partners who invest in the program in two, in, in two really substantive ways. They hire students. We've got more jobs and internships in our program than we got students to fill them. And then they uh, provide for us content for our classes. So our classes are all scenario-based, um, like cases in other college classes, but ours are all co-written selling scenarios by that director and the actual company um, uh, executives. 
So if you go in my class in marketing 337, for example, there's a Pepsi scenario, a Shaw scenario, an Adobe scenario, an Aflac scenario. And those are actually written by us and the representative who, who is the, our connection at the corporate offices of those companies, okay? They also provide for us scholarship money. We have five graduate students that we pay uh, what we call full line graduate uh, scholarships, you know, which is full school and stipend on top of that. We have 25 students, undergrads that work for us that are on some kind of version of a, of, of a scholarship, smaller, right? All that money comes straight from corporate. None of that money is Alabama money. It comes in from our corporate donors and goes right to those kids' scholarship funds. Um, so they do help us there because if it wasn't for grad students and undergrad students, we couldn't run the program. That sounds like amazing. So to explain the sales program to someone who's listening right now, what is it? Is it open just for undergraduates or obviously you talked about the sponsors that are involved with it, but what does it look like from a student perspective? Yeah, student perspective, it starts with we are housed in the marketing major. Okay. Now you don't have to be in the business school, right? Business school, marketing major, sales program. Now you don't have to be in the marketing major to be in the sales program, but the intro level sales class, which is what I teach, is required for marketing majors. So 60 plus percent of our uh, students are marketing majors. And the rest of the students come from either general business, other majors in finance, like finance, uh, um, around the business school. And then we have a relationships with um, uh, HES, fashion retail, with communications. They funnel students into the uh, class because in the program, because they see value in it. Um, and so it's a, it's a mix. It's a much more diversified mix than most um, business school classes are. Um, and for the student in the class, most of them are just in the class for MKT337, right? I signed up for this class as I have to, or because it's an option and I'm in it. And they don't really understand sales program when they're in the class. They're experiencing the content. We're teaching them this foundational influential communication, right? How to be more influential, professional, and persuasive when you communicate. And then we show them while they're there, slowly we start to unveil more aspects of the program, like the more advanced classes that are available, the job and internship opportunities that are available. Um, and it's really there that many of them make the decision to be a sales minor. Um, over half of our minors don't select the sales minor until after they've taken the intro level sales class. Now that used to be actually much higher. It used to be 75% plus because the program has been built so much and we've had some good success. More students are choosing a sales minor before they even take my class or 337, which is the class I teach. Um, so at its apex, it's a minor. It's a four-class minor. Uh, we had 250 students almost complete all four courses in this past academic year, the one we're in now that we'll finish in spring. So, you know, unofficial, just counting bodies, that's 250 minors um, in, the, in the program. So in, in, the, in this year. So they, they start more and more because they declared a sales minor as a freshman or sophomore, but still the bulk of the students that experience the full minor in the program, getting a job or internship with the program, just starts because they either wanted to, had to, or were encouraged to take marketing 337. That sounds, honestly, that's one of the biggest minors I've heard of. But if you're sort of like testing you in a way, if you were selling the sales program, what would you say? 
why well, choose a sales program? That's okay. You're asking a sales guy to sell a sales program. And when you do that, it's dangerous to sell anything because I'm going to want to ask you 10 questions back because if you're any good at sales at all, you can't, you want more information. The more information you get, <laughs> the better you can sell. But I won't do that. What I would say to you is I would, the one thing I would need to know to sell the program beyond just giving you information on what it is, was I would want to know what your aspirations are. Because what we can do for you depends upon your aspirations, right? So like when I do an introduction first day of class in 337, or I do a video now because we're video this, this year, a welcome video, I, I break it down in, into two halves. And I say, if you are already declared for the minor, you, you have an interest in professional corporate selling, it's, you, know, you want to do it, you've done it somewhere else, whatever, here's how the program can help you. And then if you've, you're in this class because you have to be, or you have no interest in selling, you're scared of it, you never heard of it, here's what we can do for you, right? The essence of it is I'm going to teach you, we as a team are going to teach you how to be a more professional communicator first. Forget selling anything. So professional communicator. And then from there, a more persuasive communicator. And then from there, I'll actually give you even an intro level sales class, some sales processes that are beyond just being more professional and more persuasive. But I don't care who you are. If you've done sales for 30 years and you've come back to college and you're taking an intro level sales class or you can't spell sales, when you get done with 337 in the intro level class, you will be more influential than when you got here. And to me, influence is a prerequisite of affluence. And I don't necessarily just mean financial affluence, whatever your term, whatever your definition of affluence is, impact, uh, contribution, uh, fulfillment, family, whatever it is, influence gets you to affluence. And so I can probably, he said, I'm saying this somewhat humbly, I can probably help you no matter what you want to do I just need to know what you want to do first to make that more specific. That's a great question. I think you sold me on it. I think we'll be adding the uh, sales minor to my. Well, if I can't sell that, class. we're in trouble. That is, that's a great point. And going along more with your day-to-day -day activities inside of Culver House. So you got one, the sales program. And we were also talking about social media before mm -hmm. this and how you utilize it. Obviously mm -hmm. influencing a lot done through internet has changed, revolutionized a lot of things. How do you utilize social media if that's Instagram, uh, website, or maybe even LinkedIn? Yeah, we, we use it as a way to broaden the platform of our content and our messages, right? We, uh, we don't produce in this, we probably should, so maybe I'm calling out my own weaknesses here. We don't produce anything for social media, right? So you can find our content on Instagram, you can find it on LinkedIn, you can find it on Twitter. Um, and, but we don't do it for Instagram, LinkedIn, or Twitter. You know, whether we are teaching students at the University of Alabama or I'm doing some kind of speaking or teaching otherwise, otherwise, we will try to capture it if we can and take pieces of it we think might positively impact somebody, anybody who wants to watch it. 
Um, and we put it on there. And honestly, we don't promote it. We, we don't, you know, you know, you don't find a billboard with our, you know, handle on Twitter or whatever on LinkedIn somewhere. Um, it's just a way to say, look, if it, here's, if it, you know, if you weren't blessed enough to be in an Alabama classroom or in a, a, a corporate environment or a, any other environment I was teaching in, and you happen to come across this or a friend of yours comes across this or had an experience because of that, and then want to say, hey, you know, you can go see what he said here. It's there. Yeah, that's a great, and I'm definitely, I've checked it out a little bit myself. I recommend anyone who's listening to this, check it out. Go to joecalamusa.com. Go look at Instagram. I think there's a lot of great nuggets of information that you can grab from just like a four to eight minute video that I've really took pleasure in watching all of them, at least for the most part. Well, I appreciate that. And also going on your data activity, because you're not a research professor here at Alabama, what do you do on the other time to make sure you're keeping up with industry and staying in tune with what's going on in the modern day and age? Yeah, that's a great question. So really at Alabama, in the business school, at least I can't speak for other colleges accurately, but there are you know, the, the general line between a research professor and what they call a clinical professor or a clinical faculty member or a clinical instructor. And those folks on the clinical side, which I am, um, are, don't have a PhD usually or don't have a PhD in that field that they're teaching in. They're not doing academic research. Now, you can't just teach in the business school at Alabama. In fact, I'm very proud of the fact that that's sort of that is kind of who we are, right? You've got to either teach and research or teach and do some really significant kind of professional or community service. And I don't mean community service as far as charity. That's great. I mean, like some kind of service in your area or your field. And just for the reason you mentioned in your question, I, you know, the worst thing in the world is walking into a classroom if I'm a student and I see a professor and they're talking to me about things they did or they saw 20 years ago, 15 years ago, even 10 years ago. Business moves too fast for that now, right? Um, or I don't even want to, I don't even want to just hear their interpretation of something they read. Well, I can, if I'm a kid, if I'm a student, I can read what you read. So what they encourage us to do on the clinical side is make sure you're in the marketing, in the marketplace. So you're working with companies in some way, doing some kind of corporate teaching or speaking or consulting or something to make sure that you're relevant. Um, and so if you look at sort of the way I'm allocating time, I'm allocating time across teaching, across program, sales program, which does give you some sense of that could probably be enough. It's not for me, but I could probably get away with that being enough from a relevant standpoint because you are working with companies in the program. But then also staying out uh, where I can in a consulting way or teaching way in the business marketplace. Um, and that way, and I'll, I'll say it like this, it'll be self-deprecating, but it's true. That way, I'm not walking the classroom next week telling 15-year-old chicken stories. <laughs> about how, you know, I made this amazing sale to Kroger in 2005. Let me tell you all about it. Well, none of that stuff I did in 2005, you do in 2025. So why am I talking about it? No, I'm not, I'm not saying there aren't business principles that apply and blah, blah, blah. But you want somebody who's relevant, understands the rhythm of the corporate environment in the field they're teaching. And that's what they make us do. And I'm so glad they do because otherwise, you know, I, I wouldn't be telling 20 year old to stick chicken stories. 
I, I think it's a great resource. And I'm definitely personally, that's one of the reasons why I chose Alabama was because they brought in sort of that case base. They wanted it to have a, an actual feel on what they were teaching and not just theory, which I found a lot of other schools might have been doing. And that you don't have a practical sense of, oh, I want to be working in, you know, two, three years. I don't know what actually happens in a day-to-day basis. I think it's a great way, great point that you made. Coming back to your class setting, I know I mentioned this before, you rate my professor score is insanely high. It's a 4.8, 4.9. Why do you think students are so receptive to your form of teaching? Or what do you do in the classroom to keep them engaged? Um, I can't really say why. I can say what they've told me, right, as far as what connects them. Um, one is that this is my purpose and this is my passion. Um, and because it's my top professional priority, most people of the intellect uh, that Alabama gets, which, you know, you've got smart, discerning um, students in those seats, right? And so they can tell if you're a fake and they can tell if you don't want to be there. Um, and I may not be right, but I'm not a fake. And I definitely want to be there. Okay. So that's probably one. I wish it was, you know, oratorical skill or, you know, the, the, the ability to articulate concepts. I, I don't, I, it's probably not that, right? It's probably the fact that I'm the guy who might be jumping on a table to, to, to make a point. And I'm not doing it because jumping on a table to make a point is cool. Or I'm not trying to be liked by jumping on a table. And I didn't write down in my notes, hey, Joe, jump on the table at 1233. I'm just so excited about what I'm teaching. And I know that it matters. And I know that if they'll hear me, it'll help them. And so, you know, I jump on a table. Um, There's that. That's the me part. I would say that's the minor part. The major part of the reason why our classes are engaging is that and is the team behind us. And that's not some kind of, you know, team cliche thing, right? I mean, it. we have these, we have a staff of undergraduate students who work for us under quote unquote teacher assistant roles, right? But they're much more than the teacher assistant. They're all producers. We produce every minute of every class in all of our sales courses. We produce the technology, uh, we produce the environment, we produce the energy, and they all have to be, when we hire them, we have go through a pretty significant hiring process. There's probably some folks listening to this right now who work for the sales program or have, and they know. You have, you know, it doesn't have to be your number one priority like it is mine or uh, Lexi Edwards, who is our other professor in that area. But you've got to be positive, purposeful, and professional and be invested. What we say in the hiring process is we have to be your number one non-academic professional priority. So you can't work for us if you got three other jobs and you know you want to throw a couple of hours on the end of it every once in a while. You got to be in it. And so I think when the student comes into class, they are almost, I don't want to say overwhelmed, but it probably can be overwhelming until you're used to it with people who are just grinding to make this the best possible experience and are so committed to it and so genuinely committed to it 
that I think that you can't help but at least give that a chance. You know, so long answer, but I would say probably probably 80-20, probably 80% that team with the with the experience and the and what they're doing, and 20% the fact that I'm an idiot jumping on a table. <laughs> uh, I think that always keeps people engaged. I know our audience from this podcast is pretty wide ranging, everyone from prospective students all the way to alumni. But what's one principle that you want everyone in career that are even starting their careers to understand of sales? If you're just like to try to summarize it in one point, what would you want someone to understand or go into a career with? I'm, I'm going to, I'll answer it. That's a great question. There's a bunch of ways to go with it. I'll answer it this way. You actually, if you actually help other people if you're good at your job. Okay, now you got to follow me a little bit on this. But if you are selling a, if you're working for a reputable company in a reputable industry, so take all the slick, slimy, silly stuff and throw it away. We don't teach that. That's not what we, what we do here. Okay, we teach, you know, major leagues, corporate selling. If you work for a, a reputable company making reputable products or services that you're selling, all the energy and effort and money that went into making those products and services are done because they add value to the customer. So if you can convince your customer to adopt your products or adapt to your processes, the company will get better. Sales go up, profit goes up, cost goes down, things get more efficient, whatever, right? They're better because of what they bought from you. That to me is enough, but there's a human being because companies don't make decisions people do. There's a human being or human beings who made the decision to buy your company's products. If your company's products make their company better, that makes their decision look good. If their decision looks good, they're gonna to get to make more and better and bigger decisions. So at the end of the day, I'm having a positive impact on the company, the institution that bought my product or process and the individual that made the buying decision. I'm certainly fulfilled professionally in multiple different ways. And my company continues to exist and continues to get to make that product or service because of what I um, sold. If you'll suffer me for one more second on the answer, one of the big myths about sales is that you have to have a passion for what you're selling. That is, don't let anybody tell you that you can't sell what you're not passionate for. I, I sold chicken for 10 years. I sold a lot of chicken, okay? And quite frankly, I eat a lot of chicken. <laughs> but I have no passion for chicken. Who cares about chicken? I don't have any passion for chicken. I knew that there were 4,000 people in Pico plants that worked running the chicken lines, running those lines, right? And these are folks that are trying to raise their kids. Most of them probably didn't go to college, but they're trying to make a, a life for their kids where the kids get to go to college, trying to really develop themselves, right? And I know that if I go to a grocery retailer and I sign a 20 million pound contract for a year, well, you can run a plant for a long time with 20 million pounds. And there might be 200 people on that line running that plant. So Joe sells, plant runs. Plant runs, people work, right? Joe don't sell, plant don't run, people don't work. So it's we're in the middle of this where we, if we're good at work, our jobs and we work really hard, we get to help both people on both sides. 
I'm helping the customer and I'm helping my company. Long answer to your short question, but that to me, that's, that's the essence of what we do. No, I think it's a great point that your job doesn't only infect you. It affects everyone on both sides. Like you said, everyone from people working side by side with you to the end consumer who might even consume that chicken, like you said, or it might boomerang all the way back to yourself where you're going to be the one, you know, grilling the chicken that night when you pick it up from the grocery store. And don't get me wrong, we get paid very well to do all those things. That's part of it too. I'm not naive. But, you know, after a while, if you've got to decide whether to turn the television on or look at your phone or mess around or study for one more hour, it isn't your paycheck that does that. It's the fact that you know if you win tomorrow, the line runs and people get to get to, to work and flourish. And if you lose because you didn't work enough, you affected too many lives negatively and you just can't sleep at night. Taking your own career, obviously you've gone from industry to teaching, staying in industry. There's a lot of things that you're doing right now. Where do you see yourself down the road five, 10, maybe 15 years from now? Well, the farther you go out there, five, 10, 15, alive, hopefully is, my, is the first answer. Um, you know, I believe in quality gets quantity. And I believe that I've been given a purpose And my job is to worry about the quality of the way in which I pursue that purpose. And I don't have to worry about the quantity. The quantity will take care of itself through the quality. So I don't have a five-year business plan or a five-year sales program plan. We have a vision for what we want to do for people. And we have found that if we focus on what's next and keep our eyes on that and look up every once in a while to see how we're doing up against that vision and to check to see that we're still doing the right thing the right way for the right reason, that the next thing will open up for us. So I think right now I would answer that question by saying to you, the program will be better And so the program will be bigger five years from now than it is right now. Um, But there might not be a sales program in five years. I I don't know, right? I know that we know exactly what we are, we've been given and the gifts we've been given and we are chasing them and that the program's impact will grow because that's what we see as the purpose. Hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. Obviously, sales program, if anyone's listening to this, check it out. If you're anyone, like any interested in it, I recommend it because there's been such high reviews, especially from recent graduates I've heard, highly recruited program that people are getting internships and job offers left and right out of there. And if you're talking to a 18 to 22 year old, someone who's pretty much in the thick of college right now, Joe, what would be your number one piece of advice that you've taken from your life to someone in that age range? No, that's a great question. Um, you can find fulfillment professionally. So I've talked about purpose a lot, right? In this discussion, we have a communicate, you have, we have a purpose we can communicate. Um, our purpose is to teach and inspire for the professional fulfillment of students, to teach and inspire for the professional fulfillment of students. Okay. So take that to answer your question. You can find fulfillment professionally. There are so many people, students especially, that see 
that what they're going to do for a living will allow them to go get fulfilled other places. You know, if I make enough money, I can be fulfilled um, in the toys I have or the house I live in or whatever material, or they work for, to be able to build and raise a family, right? So they see work as the provider of resources for fulfillment. That's indirect. That's being, that's using your professional life to feed personal fulfillment. My, and I didn't realize this until later in life, which is what makes a difference in this answer. The fulfillment can come from the professional endeavors. Like you can be fulfilled by what you do for work. So with that, that's the positive. You can find personal and professional fulfillment through what you do. Second that goes with that is don't feel like you have to find your passion to be fulfilled. Don't turn away from job opportunities. Don't turn away from professional opportunities. Don't just say, look, I got to find my passion. Because what happens is people um, confuse passion with fun. Those two things are not synonyms, okay? So they're chasing some idea of fun and they stepped right over their passion and their purpose trying to get to fun. So the message I would say to you is, you can be fulfilled professionally. The way to be fulfilled professionally is to feel like you have a purpose professionally. The typically comes from the using of your gifts, whatever gifts and talents you've been given. Worry about that. And you'll find not only passion, but you'll find that fulfillment. And going off that idea of passion, fulfillment, what's the number one thing you find happiness in right now in your current state of life with the sales program going so well and with your own personal life going so well? Um, I, I'm a pretty singularly focused person. Everything to me in um and, I, and I'm not recommending this for everybody, okay? Just to answer, my, answer your question personally. Um, to, to teach and inspire for the professional fulfillment of, of students, and that could be college students, could be corporate students, could be somebody walking by on the street, right? So another way we say it is to teach and inspire for professional fulfillment of others. Um, that's what actualizes me. Like the highest level of sort of human need fulfillment is actualization. Um, and that's what actualizes me to be able to truly have a positive impact on a large number of people, right? So people are more fulfilled because they in some way came across me. That's what fulfills me. So at the sales program, same, you know, marketing 337 teaching, teach and inspire professional fulfillment of others. Sales program, teach and inspire professional fulfillment of others. Any corporate work or consulting or teaching I do, Teachers by professional film and both. That's it. And I'm going to do that until they roll me out of somewhere. And, <laughs> and that's the 15 year plan is do that. And if I stay disciplined to that and I believe in that and I never stray from that purpose, never, never put profit over purpose, never put personal selfishness over purpose. If I prioritize purpose at the top of the list, and I mean this at all times, that is the top priority at all times then I don't have to worry about big plans because the plans are going to open up if I chase the purpose. Great point right there. And 
sort of wrapping it up with having so much history with Alabama, going to undergrad here, and now being so involved uh, teaching here. What's been your greatest memory from the University of Alabama? What's the greatest memory Alabama has provided you throughout your life? I said an MBA class, a second year MBA, and I was in uh, room 20, I think, Austin Hall. The room, it's a, not the big 10, 30 big, big ones, but another one of the kind of the middle big one. I think it's 20, 100, 100 person class. And I, I finished class and I had a wonderful MBA experience here. And I thought, just for a little flicker, you know, I, you know, I, I, I think it'd be kind of cool to be down there at the bottom teaching this thing. I, I think that'd be kind of neat. You know, I, I think I would enjoy, I'm, I'm getting so much out of this and I'm feeling so, I, I, I'm enjoying the experience. I'm learning so much. I know it's going to be great. One of these days I might come back and do that, you know, and then just forgot about it for 15 years. Never thought about it again. Um, and then it, it came back and in that classroom taught my class at the University of Alabama in that classroom. And, you know, that everything builds off of that. That's Joe Calamusa, marketing professor and director of a sales program here at Alabama. And thanks so much for listening to Bama Means Business. If you're not a subscriber, please do subscribe to our podcast wherever you get yours. And of course, check out our website at culverhouse.ua.edu to learn more about the Culverhouse College business and what it has to offer. And as always, roll tide.